Homage to the Buddha, the Dhamma and the Sangha. So we're continuing with our series looking at how we are sustained by nutriments, so the four nutriments and the four wrong ways. And so this is part three, looking at the second unprofitable direction. And this is contact as nutriment and going the wrong way due to hate. As we know from the Ahara Sutta, Sangyutta Nikaya chapter 12, discourse number 11, there are four kinds of nutriment, so physical nutriment, contact as nutriment, mental volition as nutriment, and consciousness as nutriment. So today we're looking at the second one, which is contact as nutriment. And as we know, these four kinds of nutriment have as their source and origin, and also from what they are born and produced of, it is craving. So we're looking at the link in terms of the dependent origination at how craving leads to clinging, and as a result of clinging, this leads to existence. And as a condition of existence, birth comes to be. And therefore, with birth comes aging and death, and then the whole mass of suffering. So we see that knowing how we crave the physical contact, mental volition and consciousness as nutriments, we actually create this binding to sansara. We're getting very familiar with this table, which shows the first, second, third, and fourth unprofitable directions and how they go the four wrong ways from the four nutriments. And so we've looked at in more detail the first unprofitable direction, so the physical nutriment. And so today we're looking at the second, which is contact as nutriment. And once we do that, we'll look at the other two as well later on. But what's quite clear is that from this table, there's a lot that can be understood. There's a lot that can be penetrated. And the reason for wanting to penetrate it is because we can explain a lot of things from this table. Eventually, what we want to be able to do is to see how, what is the pathway that we actually come into this world? What is it about our previous kamma and our current kamma, the actions that we are taking and that we have taken before that are drawing us into samsara and continuing to transmigrate through samsara. Not only that, this table looks at the taints. So the taints that the Buddha always says that we want to uproot. And through this table, there's a way of looking at how we get embedded into this process. And so when you look at this table, it's not simply a table, but it's a, a way of understanding quite a lot of dhammas. So you can move from top to bottom, you can see the escalation of attachment and wrong view. You can see all the way how wrong view goes all the way to the wrong pathway, basically. And then from left to right, you can also see how when you start off with something quite, quite gross, like the physical form, it goes all the way across to the more subtle things, such as perceptions, volitional formations, and then also to consciousness. And of course, feeling is embedded in there as well. But you can see when you go from left to right, the misapprehension grows. And so that's what we're going to be looking at after we go through each of the different unprofitable directions to see how this can really work and help to explain a lot of dhammas. Buddha's words in the Puttamansa Sutta, Sangyutta Nikaya, chapter 12, discourse number 63, say it very simply. And the Buddha says, it is in such a way because that I say contact as nutriment should be seen. 
When contact as nutriment is fully understood, the three kinds of feeling are fully understood. When the three kinds of feeling are fully understood, I say there is nothing further that a noble disciple needs to do. So we've seen this in different meditations before. And this is the link that goes back to contact as nutriment. So if you remember, this is the meditation that we've seen before. When you have an agreeable object, a disagreeable object, or neither agreeable nor disagreeable object, then you make sense contact. So this is the contact is nutriment. So it's either pleasant, painful, or neither painful nor pleasant. That leads to three different kinds of feelings. So pleasant feeling, painful feeling, and then neither painful nor pleasant feeling. So where do you end up? You end up in dukkha. Painfulness in change, vipanama dukkha. Painfulness in pain, dukkha dukkata and painfulness in construction, sankara dukkha. So this is the important meditation link that we have seen before, that we've looked at before when we've talked about a number of things. That it doesn't matter what kind of object you take and what kind of sense contact you make and the resultant feelings. What we need to understand is that all those feelings end up in dukkha. And so this is a very powerful thing to meditate on alongside looking at this contact as nutriment going the wrong way through hate. So let's now look at the inside pathway that's been given about how we go the wrong way due to hate through craving the contact as nutriment. Let's begin by looking at the Pitika Disclosure or Pitakopadesa and what it has to say. And... It essentially says the second nutriment is the second perversion. One steadied in the second perversion assumes future existence or becoming. This is clinging to virtue and observances. One steadied in the virtue and observances assumes ties with ill will. This is the body tie of ill will. Herein, the taint of existence is due to the body tie of ill will. When the taints come to abundance, they are called floods. In this case, the taint of existence is the flood of existence. When the floods have reached their intention and are accompanied by underlying tendencies, they are called darts, and they strike the mind and remain there. In this case, the flood of existence is the dart of hate. Consciousness gripped by the dart is steadied on four ideas. In this case, when infected by the dart of hate, consciousness establishing is steadied on feeling. By means of this steadying point for consciousness, one goes the wrong way. It is owing to hate that one goes the bad way or the wrong way through hate. So you can see that there's an insight or knowledge pathway that the Buddha has given that really essentially shows us how we actually develop the wrong view out of the perversion of seeing pleasure instead of the painful. And this happens immediately with sense contact when you look at that previous chart about the meditations, we can take any kind of object, obtain any kind of sense contact as pleasant, unpleasant, neither pleasant nor unpleasant, and then you get these feelings and you know, they vary from very pleasurable all the way to neither pleasurable nor unpleasurable, and of course those painful ones, but then the result is dukkha. And so when you start with that and you have the wrong view, because remember these perversions, they start as a perception, they become thoughts, and then they become embedded as a view. Then you follow this wrong pathway 
And so by the time you get to going the wrong way, you walk this pathway and become strongly attached to this wrong pathway. And therefore consciousness establishes in this wrong place and the outcome is quite dire as we know. So let's look at this inside pathway step by step in a gradual fashion. So remember that the simile that the Buddha gives for this contact as nutriment is the flayed or skin cow. So the cow experiences Vedana in all positions according to also the elements. So whatever, whether it's wind, fire, water, flies, what have you, the skin cow would experience through its wounds all kinds of, of Vedana, of feeling. And of course, as we know from the Buddha's teaching, all feeling results in, in Dukkha. We start with contact as nutriment and we go down to the perversion that there is pleasure in the painful. So Dukkha, Sukha, Vipalasa. And as we know, this starts as a perception, it becomes thoughts and then becomes embedded as a view. So a lot of us, what we're trying to break in terms of these perversions, these Vipalasas, is to actually break the view, the strong view that is corrupted. And so when you have this perversion of pleasure instead of, of painful, when you think about the, the previous path we looked at, the physical nutriment, look at the result of that. It resulted in wrong way due to desire. So it's the same thing that when we make contact, even with the physical nutriment, you know, the form, then we experience any kind of feeling. And so this happens all the time. Everything we do, whether it's through any of the sense faculties, we actually make contact. We assume that there is pleasure, whether it's music or seeing something or tasting something. With that contact, we experience some kind of feeling, but we misapprehend that it's really painful. So even if you're a child, you understand that there is dukkha. You, you immediately understand that if a, if a child touches fire, if the, uh, the child falls down, if the child hears something, it immediately responds to that and knows that there is some kind of dukkha. But when we age and go through life, what happens is we get numb to it or we ignore it or we develop some kind of conventional idea that we can overcome it. And so that's part of this process of even with age, the aging process, we tend to ignore the aging process even though our faculties are declining. So that's another way we can see contact as, as nutriment, as, as dukkha. So pain in terms of this dukkha is getting contacted every time, no matter whether we are conscious of it or not. But the idea in meditation is really to be able to see that. So even when we're sitting, uh, it comes a time where we need to change position or when we're standing, we need to change our posture as well. When we're walking, sometimes if we walk for a very long time, it gets very painful. And so even in the eating process, which we've been through before, each bite, there is Vedana being experienced, whether it's tasty or it's not tasty, but you still experience some kind of, of taste. And when you swallow, that's when you need to reconstruct that. You need to take another bite. And so the reality of pasta, of contact, is that we need to see that it's not really sukha, it's not really pleasurable. In actual fact, a lot of the time, it may start out as pleasurable, but it ends up being painful. And so it applies to every single feeling. 
the real nature is dukkha, so pain. And so we need to actually see through that and see how we're conditioned to bear with pain. So we do send things to numb pain at a physical level. We can stretch, we can scratch, we can move. So we talked about moving at the last Poya session, that when we experience dukkha, we always want to move, to distract, to do something else, to physically leave a place. And so when you do that meditation before, the, the, the one about the three kinds of feelings, starting with three kinds of objects, it's a very powerful one to actually penetrate that. So where that leads to is this clinging to virtue and observances. So silabata upadana. So what we're holding on to here is the future. We think that something in the future will be able to overcome what we're experiencing now. And so we look at these future conditions as having something that will deliver us from, from the current dukkha. And so in the next moment, you're hoping to experience dukkha. So one way of looking at that is when we think about moving, for example, we think if we take that aeroplane and go somewhere else, then in that future moment, there'll be sukha and we can overcome what we're currently in our daily lives experiencing as dukkha. Likewise, when you study, your aspiration is to become a doctor, an engineer, uh, an apprentice, or whatever the case may be. And you do the work, the studies, the trade in order to actually become that. And so you're expecting in the future that you will be that, that there will be some pleasurable feelings, what we call even success is part of these pleasurable feelings in the future. And again, from a practice point of view, it's also when you have this view that in the future, you will, if you do this dana now, like this giving, this generosity, then in the future, you will have a good rebirth. That is also something that you're holding on to the future. This silabata upadana, you're doing that even by looking at one's own virtue. That if you cling to, say, virtue, purely with the idea that you're born in a, in a divine realm or a higher realm, and you think that will be sukha, maybe even permanent sukha, and you think that if you hold on to you know, your morality in this way, then that is also part of the silabata upadana. That's why there is the clinging to virtue. And that you think that in the higher realm, there'll be no dukkha. And so there's still a misapprehension there. It's not completely wrong. There's a relative truth in that, yes, it's better to be reborn in a higher realm and to do good deeds in order to do that, to keep sila in order for that, better than going to lower realms. But it's still not trouble-free. It's still not free of dukkha. Because as we know that the Buddha says that if you're still reborn into samsara, then you're still subject to old age, sickness and death or aging and death and ultimately to the whole mass of suffering again. Nibbana is seen as the only thing that is deathless, unchanging and permanently happy, permanently ple pleasurable because you end you know, this, this whole construction. The Nibbana is not constructed. And so in this way, you can understand this clinging to virtue and observances. So when you have this misapprehension, then you keep clinging with hope and expectation to the future. So you hold the future based on past pleasure. So when we come to the bond of existence, really what you're saying here is you, you want to come back again into samsara. So in everyday life, you want to hold on to 
whatever it is you're holding on to as your aspiration, because you believe there is sukha there, there is pleasure. So that means you're coming back into the world again. And so you may have yearnings for particular things in this lifetime, but you have yearnings for future rebirth as well at the ultimate level. And so that's how the bond take, takes hold. We're happy to exist and we're happy to keep generating future existence. And it may be very subtle even in Dhamma practice, but it's good to clarify one's aspiration, knowing that you can get bonded to the wrong view. So then we come down to Biyapadakaya Gantha, which is this knot of ill will or this body tie of ill will. So we're tied to ill will when our pleasure doesn't get fulfilled. So when we see the sliding nature, when we start to see that, then it starts to shatter what we thought was true. So we realize you know, at this level that what we thought was true, the idea, the, the view, when it shatters that it's not completely pleasurable or what's inside is dukkha, then that this is when the ill will starts to raise, raise itself, starts to arise. Because what happens is as soon as you make contact, you start to think, oh, this will be good, you know, and this idea is good. But once you realize certain things fall through. So for the student having to endure the exams, there is dukkha there, you know, so it keeps it keeps piercing the expectation, the hope, the aspiration. When you fail exams, this is very clear. When you can't find a job at the end of studying, you can't become that doctor, engineer, that contractor, that tradesperson, you know, whatever it is. When you can't find the partner or when you find the partner and the partner doesn't, you, you have complications in the relationship. So certain things are there as truths to actually pierce through what you think is going to offer complete happiness, but it challenges it. So that's where ill will comes because you think, how can that be? This is meant to be enjoyable, pleasurable. It's supposed to give me lasting happiness. But instead, what happens is you, you see certain things you know, rise because that, that is how things are. So it starts to get challenged, but we still persist. So we st still keep going down that. And what happens is we get to the taint of existence. And so this is the roller coaster. We're going through a roller coaster of feeling. The post perception of it is always that it's worth taking as me and mine. Sukha feeling or this idea that we can obtain sukha is always the one that says, I can control it and it's worth taking as me and mine. So it, it applies to any object, a new gadget, a job, something that we're aspiring to study to our partner, to our loved ones, to things that are happening around us, to assets we hope to obtain and hold on to. We hope to get these pleasurable feelings and make it last. And so we think it's worth taking as me and mine. So very much we keep trying to make it work. And so there's a lot of construction. You know, Bhava Asava is always trying to deliver a good product and unfortunately, what happens is it does get shattered and it does break down, but we keep reconstructing thinking, I'll try another thing. So when a relationship breaks down, you try and find another partner. When something happens, you have one child, sometimes you try and fix it with a second child or a third child. 
or when you study something and you come back and you think, oh, well, maybe I should study some more. So not just the degree, I'll get a master's, not just a master's, I'll get a PhD. Maybe after the PhD, I'll get a postgraduate. Maybe I'll do another uh, PhD and so on and so forth. And same with, you know, mundane things like phones. You know, you have one phone, okay, it's good for a while, then another thing comes out quite quickly, so you get another one, and, and it's endless, even with video games, even with a whole myriad of things. Because our finished product that we keep producing is flawed. It keeps sliding because of the aging process. And we fail to see it. Sometimes we see it, but then we patch it up, reconstruct, patch it up, keep trying to produce a good product and keep taking it as, as me and mine. Unfortunately, it doesn't work. And this process shows that. And the Buddha's words always confirm that, that one needs to see through this. So after the taint of existence, what this leads to is the flood of existence. So we can't see the deception. We're actually drowning now because we can't see that these sukha feelings or any kind of feeling really, it all ends in dukkha. So sometimes a good way of looking at it, not just the flake cow, which is you know perfect example from the Buddha, but it's almost like one of those lollies that you, you eat. Sometimes it's sweet on the outside, something quite tasty, but then it goes really sour, you know, one of those sour lollies. So it's sweet on the outside and you suck and you suck. And then after a while you get to the sour part or even the bitter part. And so this is what it's like for contact as nutriment, that there's something quite foul inside that doesn't help you, deceives you. And so that's what we meet every time. We eat this sweet lolly, but inside it's either sour or bitter. When that happens, feeling is really what you're still trying to reconstruct. And so you have this poison. So you come to the dart of hate. The poison is fully embedded. The poison is the sukha, this sukha uh, dart that is piercing you. It's wedging in your mind thinking, yes, I can, I can have this pleasure. I can reconstruct it. I can make it last. And it's not true, of course, but we're quite sickened in the mind by that. And so the dart is really the dart of hate because really it keeps shattering and we keep trying to fix it. So we keep demanding pleasure by buying things, going towards things, turning on music, turning on the TV, trying to fix it, moving, traveling, changing jobs, changing partners, having more children, trying to fix it with food, trying to fix it with drink, trying to fix it with exciting things at different places but none of it really works and so ultimately where you end up is in this in this hate mode so when you get to this feeling as steading point for consciousness establishing what happens is that vijnana is really focusing on sukha the sukha feeling it is spinning and trying to make contact with anything that is going to give it good feelings, pleasurable feelings. And so we've driven ourselves from this wrong view and this corrupted mentality. And, and so there's always this strong craving for feeling. 
and you really try and, and fix it that way. And so you go the wrong way due to hate. And so it's a very unfortunate pathway, but this is how we try and resolve uh, what's going wrong. And it, it leads us down the wrong path. And so when you think about it in the ultimate sense, if you actually believe that there is no aging process, there is no decay and sliding from sukha feelings, then all you end up with is sadness. Because isn't that what happens when something doesn't work out and we're met with dukkha, we get very sad. And so when we're sad, we make very wrong decisions. And so the link there is that we always get separated from what is pleasing, whatever gadget it is, whatever situation it is in our lives that was good, but then it, it declined, or our loved ones, when we lose our loved ones, or when something happens to ourselves or to our loved ones. And so we are born because of this dosa. We come to exist because we're continually demanding feeling, vedana. So when you pass away, it's very important to not have vedana as the thing that consciousness establishes on. Remember we said we don't fix dukkha with tanha. So we don't want to have, to have tanha towards feeling. Because if you do that, then you go from the hate path, you go back to the lust path. So the one with the physical nutriment and you see what other people have and you desire it. And so even in death, what happens is if you die with this thing thinking, I want sukha feeling and you think, oh, I've been able to do that before and you haven't seen through that, you go back to wanting to create another body, whether it's gross or subtle. You want to create another eye, ear, nose, tongue, body. And so it's very important to correct this ignorance that we have and to overcome both of these nutriments. And of course, the other two we're going to go through as well. So every time there is this perversion, whether it's the perversion of fair and foul, or this perversion of pleasure and painful, or the one about having me and mine in not me and mine, or seeing something lasting when it's not lasting, these are the things that wedge in our mind. These are the things we very much need to overcome. And this is a very, very important one. Vedana feeling drives us with everything and so we really need to penetrate this pleasure in the painful. So when we look at contact as nutriment it's very valuable to go back to the dependent origination process because as we know there are three key things that stand out when it comes to contact as nutriment in the dependent origination. Those three things are contact, pasta, feeling, vedana, and craving, tanha. So contact is pasta, and contact conditions feeling, so which is the vedana, so all those different kinds of feelings. And then feeling conditions tanha, so tanha, as we know, is the abhinandati, abhivadati, ajosayatitati process. We take delight in something, we welcome it, and we remain holding, and this is through the five aggregates subject to clinging and through the sense faculties. So when you see that, you understand that if there is contact, then feelings come to arise due to that contact. And when feelings come to arise, then you crave because you crave any kind of feeling, be it pleasant, unpleasant, or neither pleasant nor unpleasant. 
So if you don't want to crave, if you don't want to have this craving process of tanha, then it, it's very helpful if there's no contact because you don't kick off the paditya samupada, this dependent origination process. Now there are more advanced levels of looking at this and then it gets more subtle in terms of when there is no contact, but we won't go into that here. But the other thing to say is what's helpful in looking at that is the Parileya Sutta. And aside from the Parileya Sutta, if you know the Halidikani Sutta, you know that there's a loop happening that we keep going back to in terms of when there is contact. And so when there is contact, be it to the Rupa, which is the Kaplinkara Hara, the physical nutriment, when we go back to the physical nutriment, normally this process means that we want to take something as as me and mine, we keep reconstructing sankharas around taking it as me and mine, taking it as lasting, this particular phys physical nutriment. And therefore, when the contact happens, you actually expect to experience something from it, experience any kind of vedana feeling. And with that comes the craving for whatever it is. It could be an ice cream, it could be a person, and so when that happens, you take delight, you go, oh, and then uh, you say it out, you go, oh, wow, there's that, that thing I like, or that person I like, or even if it's something that you don't like, you still express it because there is the process of tanha happening, because we do take delight in things that are also not to our liking, because even when it comes to politics and what's happening right now, what's happening even at work or with different people, when you take delight, it doesn't have to be a positive thing. It can also be a negative thing. And you, you welcome it in that way that you want to lament over it even or complain about it or fight in your mind around it. And so, therefore, when you keep coming back to that object, it's even with dukkha feelings around it. And when that happens, you're appropriating you're grabbing the sign and features of that object. And this is what we learn in the Haladikani Sutta. And there is my making process uh, in that. That's known as Mamankara in uh, Pali. And so this is due to corrupt perceptions that we've made from the contact, the pasta. And so you keep spinning around Vedana. To, to squeeze out whatever it is that one wants and then you keep going back to the contact again and again because you want to experience and essentially vijnana is establishing on feeling it's demanding the feeling and what becomes apparent is vijnana doesn't really know the distinction between any kind of feeling actually so we are the ones that label it assign value to different kinds of feelings but Vijnana just knows that it wants feeling. And it has done that pathway before, that loop of Pasa Vedana Tanha Parigaha Mamankara Vedana Pasta again. So when this happens, you're going through this loop very, very quickly. And of course, the underlying tendency is there. And you misapprehend what is happening, being so strongly holding on to feeling. And so wrong view is constantly being pressed and you make certain decisions and actions are taken which are maybe unwholesome because of that.
So it's a very tenuous pro um, process that is has very grave consequences, really. And so you can see it in that way that when you do this contact as nutriment, it's it's actually quite valuable to also remember that this process is all also happening at the dependent origination level and to investigate it because there's much more to learn from it but you need to start investigating start activating the wisdom faculty to see it so as we said before this meditation looking at the three kinds of, of dukkha that whatever object you take you end up in dukkha no matter what kind of feeling arises from the sense contact this meditation is very, very important. What we learn from this meditation is really around when we make contact with any kind of object, feeling arises. And vinyana, when it establishes on feeling and it holds on to feeling, that's what it's doing. Once the poison of how it apprehends the perversion of on feeling, that it's pleasure instead of pain, pleasant instead of painful, then vijnana steadies on it and it remains holding. And ultimately, no matter what vedana you're holding on to, it results in dukkha. So when the Buddha talks about the cow dung, that you're some kind of creature around cow dung and enjoying it, thinking that you're enjoying it, we are literally like that. Same with the sewer, that we think we're swimming in something really quite pleasant and delightful especially when we have tanna towards it, we take delight, we welcome, we remain holding. But it's literally that we're drowning in the sewer, this smelly, horrible thing. So no matter whether you take something agreeable, disagreeable, neither agreeable nor disagreeable, it's literally when you meditate on this and you look at it, it's really to see that you're swimming in something that's quite foul. And over and over, you're holding on to something foul when you hold on to feeling. Or you're like the creature, whether it's a fly or a, some kind of creature that's attracted to, to dung, cow dung. You think this is great, that there's something valuable, beneficial. You can squeeze some sort of pleasure or pleasant feeling out of it. But you're in the cow dung. And so this is the thing that you, you do when you, you see through contact as nutriment and going the wrong way with hate is you end up so angry and hateful, whether you admit to it or not, is because what you're holding on to is something that is not giving you that pleasant feeling. It's not giving you what you think you want out of Vedana. It's actually something quite foul. It's, it's rubbish. It's the cow dung. It's the sewer. And so this is what we try and understand from it. And what's underlying that gets triggered when we go down any of these pathways is with Sukhavedana, the pleasant feeling or pleasurable feeling, what gets activated is this Raga Anusaya, the tendency towards towards lust. And with Dukhavedana, it's Patiga Anusaya that gets triggered, so the underlying tendency towards resistance. And then with Adukama Sukhavedana, neither pleasant, painful nor pleasant feeling, it's this Avija Anusaya, the ignorance. And when you look at this in total, really avijja, this ignorance is pushing us towards Vedana all the time because this is what we've done in the past. Even to create this particular birth, it would have been from ignorance and because of craving, craving for the feeling, 
Vijnana doesn't understand feeling other than that it is feeling, the experience of it, whether it's pleasant, painful, or neither painful nor pleasant feeling. Lust is there, as well as a resistance to when you pass away out of almost like despair and distress, you just grab onto something that you've you've grabbed on before. And so when you pass away, all you're looking for is tanha. I have to uh, go towards the feeling. And so when we meditate, what we're trying to do is train ourselves out of that, not to grasp onto feeling so strongly and to be swayed so that the taking delight, welcoming and remain holding to feeling isn't so strong. We see through it, not shaken by it when it is not there. Because otherwise, it's quite dire. We would immediately go towards any form, any physical form. When we crave feeling, we go towards any physical form and say, I want to re be reborn as so any kind of gross or subtle form. And there is a danger in that. So this meditation can go quite deep. And the more you practice it, and particularly the longer version, but even for all intents and purposes, this shorter version, you can see quite a lot. And so I would encourage to, alongside looking contact as nutriment, to also do this, this one, and really penetrate it, penetrate the Dhamma pieces within it. Coming back to the Puttamansa Sutta, the words of the Buddha in relation to the flayed cow and contact as nutriment are very helpful. So the Buddha says, suppose there is a flayed cow, if she stands exposed to a wall, the creatures dwelling in the wall would nibble at her. If she stands exposed to a tree, the creatures dwelling in the tree would nibble at her. If she stands exposed to water, the creatures dwelling in the water would nibble at her. If she stands exposed to the open air, the creatures dwelling in the open air would nibble at her. Whatever that flay cow stands exposed to, the creatures dwelling there would nibble at her. So with any contact, one would experience feeling. And so it's very important to be able to withstand any kind of feeling and not to get drawn through any corruption in the mind around feeling. And when you are able to withstand, to not shake with that, and to see it clearly that I don't want to fall for that because it ends up in dukkha, then when it comes to feeling and being conditioned by that, you know, bodily volitional formations, verbal volitional formations, and mental volitional formations, you won't get disturbed. You'll just abandon and say, that is not for me. I do not want to construct this anymore. I do not want consciousness to establish in feeling and spin there because I will go the bad way through hate because it slides. Every time something slides, and the sliding is really the decaying process, the aging process. And when you see that very clearly, you don't want to go to the sadness. What you want to do is to refrain from it and to see it very, very clearly, not to get deceived and to withstand all that. And by doing so, you won't want to come to exist again. You won't want to construct again. You understand that there is no finished product that you can construct 
that gives everlasting happiness. And what you trust is the Buddha's word that only Nibbana is the truth. Only Nibbana has permanent happiness. Only Nibbana is worth giving up samsara, basically. In your meditation, what you want to do when you uh, look at this inside pathway, contact as nutriment going all the way down to the wrong way due to hate, is take an example. So it's very important to connect with the Dhamma through your own examples. You could take an example in terms of uh, if you're a student, you know, your studies and how one looks at that. You could also take an example of a loved one, living with a loved one. You could also take an example of how we cling to virtue in terms of this path and, and coming back. You could also take another example of uh, making contact with a career. So that's also possible. So there are various different things that one has hopes and dreams and expectations of having sukha. Even something as simple and mundane as, as traveling, one could use that as an example. But whatever resonates for you, whatever is the most powerful for you, where you feel that you keep encountering dukkha is probably the one that you need to look at. The one that you think may give you pleasure but turns is also very helpful. But any kind of experience really, and to really penetrate the truth of it. So let's take the example of studying as a way of looking at this, because this gives you an idea about how to do this meditation. So contact as nutriment is what we're looking at. So we have the perversion that, and this is a conventional thing, so we're not disparaging studying, because studying is a means to an end in terms of livelihood, in terms of getting a good job, being able to support yourself and your family. And so studying is a conventional norm. But we're looking at this in terms of the Dhamma, in terms of how we can get the wrong idea about it, making more out of it, and building up something that inevitably when it comes to the final exam, we may misapprehend. So the perversion that we're taking, of course, is that there is sukha, that there's pleasure in the painful. So with this, what we're holding on to, this silabhata upadana, this clinging to virtue and observances is, as a student, you have this expectation. If you sit all your exams, you, you study for however number of years, you expect to be whatever it is you're studying. Or if you're studying a trade, you expect to become that particular tradesperson. So when it comes to studying, you could be studying to be a doctor. So in your mind, what you're holding on to at this Silabhatopadana is, I will be this doctor in the future. So you're already having this inclination, expectation. You already even think of yourself as a medical student, as a future doctor. So that's what you're clinging on to. That's why you're studying. That's what gives you the energy to go towards that. If you're training in a trade, it's the same thing. You expect to be a bricklayer, an uh, electrician, a plumber. So you are studying that skill with the idea that that's what you'll be in, t in the future. And so you're holding on to that in one year, two years, three years, however long it may be. So then when you come to the bond of existence, you're already tied to that. You're invested in it. And so you grasp onto it. I need to pass these exams. I need to do all these things. Now, the body tie of ill will comes in when it starts to slide. So when something comes to shake you, 
from that, you start to experience dukkha. So the studying process, the exam process, the tests. When you read news that says that there are diminishing jobs in your field of study, that also starts to shake you. When you see your future job being disparaged. So for example, if you want to be a doctor and you hear that doctors are being complained about, accused of certain things right now, then that would shake you. But the experience of studying also shakes you because every time you can't try and construct that the process itself is very painful to study. That's something that one can admit. And so you're already sliding in this scale. It's not already fulfilling things for you. And that's where ill will starts to arise and it can be quite painful. There's a lot of sadness even in study. People's expectations are also impinging your own expectations. There's a great deal of dukkha. The post-perception of it is always that it's going to be it's going to be mine. I'm going to be this doctor. I'm going to have these things as a result of being a doctor. Whether it's you gain something in terms of reputation, in terms of material gain, all kinds of things are what's embedded in why you are studying. The thing is that when you aspire to these things more than just doing it in order to gain livelihood, when you have these additional expectations, these additional views and opinions about it, you trigger all these things, you become this thing, you think these five aggregates are more than, more than uh, try and gain more from them. So what becomes very difficult is that when the taint of existence is, is there, you're wanting to birth, I want to be this doctor. And you're very, very tightly bonded to it. And so you're flooded with that despite the difficulty, despite experiencing dukkha, despite the roller coaster ride of the experience and the sadness and the stress and the frustration of that process, you're still bonded. You're, you're drowning in this expectation. It's like even when you come to your final exams, you feel you're prepared, but at the same time, and you've done all the work, but you still feel yourself wobbling. And one can get to a great deal of depression out of the wanting, out of the expectation. And you also want to give up. That's the contradiction about it, that no matter what you're doing, you also at some point also want to give up because it's just too much. The aging process as part of this going the wrong way is, is, is huge. And, and students will understand that. All of us have been students in something or another. And so we understand this process is excruciatingly painful at times, whether you've been just a primary school, high school, higher education, learning a trade, learning on the job, there is something that we all resonate in this, in this example. So the dart of hate is really the poison. You keep convincing yourself, but I'm meant to do this. I'm meant to get this pleasure from it. And even when you graduate, you're meant to get the praise, the, the glory of it. And when you get the first job and on and on from there, when you get the when you want the accolades in your field of, of study and you keep trying to fix over and over again through these different things and it starts with this studying process. 
So we're not diminishing studying as a means to an end, but to look at how we can add more to it, add more to me and mine as well. And at that point, you're always steadying on your fix is your skill. And you then eventually from studying, it becomes the issue of the job. And so the job also becomes like the glue for everything as well. And so this contact and nutriment, it, it's, it's massive in terms of how it spirals out of control and escalates and we can't see it. And it's actually very, very wobbly. A lot of the things that we believe in when we study actually get shattered all the time. And when we get the job, it also gets shattered all the time. What we experience is more dukkha than sukha, if we're really honest about it. And so we go the wrong way through hate. That's why when you see people studying, when you get pushed and prodded, when you get questioned, you get angry, you know, because you're, you're not enjoying this process. And same with, you know, um, the job and everything else, even everyday life. Underneath it all, we get pushed around a lot and our view about this pleasure gets shattered a lot, but we keep trying to fix it. We keep trying to patch it up, but it's deathbound in nature. It decays, it's sliding. And so that, that's what we need to see in this meditation. Because if we don't see it, then we have this belief that we can fix through contact as nutriment. We go back to the physical nutriment from contact as nutriment and we try and fix it. And this is ultimately the, the test at the end. That if we believe in sukha feelings, we believe that form is fair instead of foul, then we will reconstruct another body thinking that is a body that will help us to experience sukha again. And as we know from the Buddha's teaching, this can, we assume we might get a human birth if that's what we want, or we assume a, a divine realm or a Brahma realm, but it's not often the case that we can get that. And so the danger is actually quite real at that moment. And so this meditation is very, very important. And so take the examples in your meditation and really penetrate this to see. So a few tips for this meditation. And you know these things take a little time to understand, but be okay with whatever time you can assign to, to learning this. And if it takes you a little longer, that's okay. But make sure you understand each of the lines, each of the steps. Make sure you learn how to do the meditation. So the learning process is always part of understanding it theoretically, being able to know the sequence. The sequence is very important. How the Buddha actually shows us how it gradually deepens and then you're going the, the wrong way with hate. And try different examples you know, what's actually happening here and see that process of the second noble truth that there is this process when we take the perversion that any kind of feeling, what we're actually wanting really deep down is always this sukha feeling. We try and convert dukkha feeling into sukha feeling and the same goes with a dukkha masukha, whether it's neither painful nor, nor, nor pleasurable feeling. And so this craving aspect is we crave any feeling. That's what Vijnana gets used to. That's its time-trodden pathway. And that's what links us back to the physical nutriment. And so when you understand that, what you're trying to do is to really overcome that process of 
always craving for feeling. And so you start to understand the second noble truth that it's driven also by ignorance. So when you do that, what you really want to understand is this perversion, pleasure in the painful. So you memorize all these steps, you know, take your own examples. You can take examples from everyday life. Just observe yourself in everyday life, what you gravitate towards, what you're always going towards. Even when we watch the news or read something, look at something in social media, it's always because of Vedana. You're trying to improve on what you have right now, whatever that feeling is, and to block out the dukkha, numb yourself. And that's the thing that we do with Vedana, it's this numbing process. It's really to pay attention to it and to not really keep reactivating and to actually see that everything we go through is actually quite painful. This is the sua, this is the cow dung. Because once you accept that, and really I think what contact is nutriment is really what we're trying to pierce through when we understand this process is to understand that we need to accept whatever conditions are ripening. This is our vipaka kamma, collectively, not just personally, but collectively. That collectively, what we're experiencing right now is the result of previous kamma, previous actions. When we see it in that way, it's not personal. It's just the conditions that we are being served right now. And rather than trying to fix it, we accept them for what they are. We don't want to go the wrong way due to hate because we're resisting the conditions. And I think that's the bigger picture of it, that when you see contact as nutriment very, very clearly, in order to have karuna, it doesn't mean that one is swayed by personal circumstances because the pairing with this going the wrong way due to hate is actually karuna apamana, immeasurable compassion. What you do is you don't resist, you don't take it personally, you don't resist, and you accept the conditions for what they are. And you don't try and fix it through Vedana, through the feeling. And so the, the other part is to really understand that meditation around feeling. Then you see the sua, the, the cow dung more clearly. And then you understand why one has to be quite cautious around going with Vedana. And so there's a lot of deep Dhamma here, but the thing is to, to make a start. And if you've already started on this process of understanding contact as nutriment, to deepen it and to take heart that one can actually penetrate more truth from understanding this process. So I'll leave this meditation here and we can share the merit with all sentient beings. May all beings be happy and well. May all beings be free from suffering. Blessings of the Triple Gem. Wishing you all well. Deruan Saranai.